Good morning again, everyone. Wow, I'm so happy that you braved the weather to come out today. A little rainy today. Uh, Sometimes that keeps some folks back, but you wouldn't stay back. And I know you're going to be rewarded for doing so. So how's the third Sunday of the new year? How's the new year going? Everyone doing pretty good? Everyone excited? Well, not everyone will be excited, but the big games today. Already been talking to folks about who they're rooting for, and we'll see how this all turns out. And then two weeks from today is the big game, right? And then it starts all over again. But anyhow, uh, excited to do that. I started a new series last week called Reboot. And we're talking about rebooting our lives. You know, when our computers have problems, sometimes we've got to reboot them. I've had, had to do that this week. When they just get too slow or all they crash, we reboot. Well, sometimes we need to sit and pause and look at our lives and reboot some, their entire life because they're really going the wrong way. Most of folks, just an area or two of their life. Last week, we said that if we're going to really get something out of this series and we're going to reboot, the first thing we got to do is we got to get real. We got to get real. That involves we got to wake up. We saw in 1 Corinthians six twelve last week, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. We learned last week that this was a saying going around in the church of Corinth. Because of grace and because our sins are forgiven, people were just kind of presuming on the grace of God. They said, well, everything's permissible for me. All my sins are covered. And Paul's reminding him, yeah, that's true. That when we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior, God forgives every sin we've ever committed, every sin we ever will. He secures our our adoption into his family with the presence of the Holy Spirit. And we are heaven bound. That's it. It's done. Jesus said it is finished, his last words on the cross. But that doesn't mean that we, it's beneficial for us to live life any way we want to live after that. And especially, it's not beneficial us to us to get mastered by any behavior or any thought or any action. And so we need to wake up and say, okay, what is going to be best for me? Best for me in my relationship with God. Best for me in my relationship with my family. Best for me in my relationship with others, with the world. Then we talked about we've got to fess up. Got to fess up with first ourselves. You know, it's so easy to play the blame game and say, you know, well, if I had better parents or if I had, you know, then if I had a better school teacher, if I had better, and we, we blame others. But we saw last week in Scripture that most of the problems that come into our life, we bring on ourselves. We just need to fess up about that. Sometimes we're our worst own enemy, aren't we? And we need to fess up about that. We just need to get honest because that's part of waking up and saying, okay, I've engaged in things that have consequences. And, and I've set a course for my life that, that I, I may need to reevaluate and reexamine. Of course, if there's sinful things there, then we need to fess up with God. We need to confess those things, not because God doesn't know about them, but because God then will relieve the guilt of those things off us. He'll relieve that pressure, that burden. And as David said, and prayed, restore the joy of my salvation. And God will do that, see? And then we're walking in step with him. We're walking in fellowship with him. And we feel like we have a, a, a good relationship. And then we need to fess up with others. We need accountability in our life. We need some folks to walk through life with us. And, and 
Anyone who tries to do this by themselves is really taking on a bigger challenge than they can possibly meet. The Christian life is not an easy life. Living for God is not an easy thing to do in a world that is moving the opposite direction, in a culture that's moving the opposite direction. As we get bombarded every single day with counter messages to that of the gospel and that of what Jesus would would want us to, to embrace in our lives. So we've got to wake up, we've got to fess up, and then we've got to do something about it. We've got to shape up. It's, it's not good to say, oh, yeah, th- you know, I, n- not everything's beneficial for me, and there's some things in my life that right now that probably aren't beneficial to me. Oh, well, and just walk on. It's not just to fess up and say, you know what, I'm causing a lot of pain in my own life, and I, I need to make some changes, and, and I need to, to confess my sin to the Lord so I'm not carrying the guilt and the shame about it anymore, and I need to get some accountability in my life, but I, then I need to shape up. Hebrews 12, 1 said, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders. What's hindering you from moving forward in your relationship with God, with Jesus? What's hindering you from being more the person that sometimes when you're just kind of sitting in isolation, maybe, maybe you're sitting in church and, and you're going, you know, God, I, I, I really want to be closer to you. I really want to be more intimate with you. I really want to have, have, a, have a more dynamic purpose for the kingdom. What's keeping you from doing that? We need to evaluate that, and we need to shape up. We need to get rid of that stuff out of our life and start on a new course. Well, today we're going to continue week two of the series Reboot. And today, I'm going to encourage you to reboot your religion. Now, you might be shocked by that, but I'm going to encourage you to reboot your religion. Jesus said in John 10.10, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Now, Jesus has given his purpose, his mission statement right here in John 10.10. Jesus says, here's the reason I come. I have come that they may have life, not death, and life to the full. Now, of course, Jesus is speaking on a couple different levels here. Ultimately, he's speaking about eternity. I've come that they might have life, that they might have eternal life. Because without what Jesus did, we would remain enemies of God. And we would remain under the penalty of our sinfulness. And therefore, when this life ends, it wouldn't go good for us. So Jesus said, I've come to change all that. I've come to change that they might have life and have it to the full. We can't even imagine what life is going to be like in eternity. We, we really can't. And, and I know that to be true because that's what even Scripture says. Scripture says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard. It's not even entered into the imagination of the heart, the Bible says, the glories God's preparing for those who love him. That's amazing. So I'm not going to try to describe it to you because I can't. But it's going to be glorious. And Jesus said, that's the reason I come. I came so that they, every human being, every person on planet Earth, in every generation, might have life and have it to the full. But not just there. He came that we might have life here and have it to the full. That we might have a life that's free of guilt and shame. That we might have a life that has actual purpose to it and a reason to be alive. And, and, and something to be working on and looking forward to. Now, sometimes our religion gets in the way of all that. 
Sometimes our religion can get in the way of our spiritual health. Tom, Gary Thomas, author of a book called Sacred Pathways, says this. I found that many people face the same dilemma in their walk with God. Their love for God has not dimmed. They've just fallen into a soul-numbing rut. Have you ever felt like that? Still love God. But this Christian walk, this Christian life is kind of, you reach a place where it's just not doing it anymore. It's just kind of a a soul-numbing experience. He goes on to say, their devotions, those who still have them, seem like nothing more than shadows of what they've been doing for the years. In other words, yeah, we're having devotions, we're reading the Bible, and it's just like blah, 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 blah. They've been involved in the same ministry for so long they could practically do it in their sleep. And I can attest to that. Some of you faithful servants have been serving in a water, or serving in a nursery, or serving in the music program, or serving, I mean, so long that you could do it in your sleep. But over a period of time, it can become a numbing experience, and we're just kind of going through the motions. We're not really thinking about serving God. We're not really thinking about serving people. We're just exercising responsibilities. Goes on, it seems as if nobody in their small group has had an original thought in three years. We can come in our small groups even. We can get to the place where we're talking about the same thing all the time, praying about the same thing all the time. Just just no movement to it. He says, they finally wake up one morning and ask, is this really all there is to knowing God? What's this about? What am I doing? We saw Albert Einstein's definition of insanity last week. We were reminded of it. And his definition is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. Well, let's apply that definition to religious insanity. Religious insanity is doing the same religious things over and over again and expecting different results. How do we fall into this soul-numbing experience sometimes? Where, yeah, we still believe in God. We haven't recanted our faith. We're still attending church. We're still serving in a ministry. Might be in a life group, but, but if we're really honest, we're kind of going through the motions. How do we get there? Well, because we keep doing the same thing over and over and over and over and over. We fall into literally a religious rut. This is what happened in Israel. And this is one of the reasons they missed the birth of their own Messiah. In Hebrews, in the New Testament, there's a a manuscript called Hebrews. And it is written to the Hebrews, who are the, the Jews, right? And the whole book is written to the Jewish people to first provide a chronology of their relationship, their special relationship, their unique relationship with God. It goes back to Adam, how God called Adam out of all the people of the earth, and it walks them through their history. But then it begins to introduce them to the significant change that came about when Jesus entered the world. 
particularly when he died on the cross for sins and was resurrected. And so in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11 says this, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again. He offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. Now remember at this time, the writing of this book, all this was still going on. The temple in Jerusalem had not yet been destroyed. That was what happened in 70 AD. So all this is still happening. And the priests are still offering the sacrifices. And they're still lighting the incense candles. And they're still doing all the religion. And it says day after day, they, they keep doing that. Day after day, they, they keep going to the temple. when It's their time. Remember, priests had different shifts. They had different orders. And they had different shifts. It was their turn to serve the temple. They'd go serve at the temple. It's a day after day, the same thing kept going on over and over again. And yet none of that could impact and bring forgiveness to their sin. Goes on to say, but when this priest, this priest being who? Jesus, that's what we're talking about. When this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. That's Jesus. Since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. Because by sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are made holy. Now, let me read that again. Because by sacrifice, he has made what? Perfect forever those who are made holy. Well, who are those who are made holy? Who are those people? Those are all the people who trust Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. God makes them holy. Are they holy? Do, do I always act holy? Do I always think holy? Can I have a confession right here? Can you be my, my priest? No. But God has made me holy. God has declared me holy. God has declared you holy. If indeed you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. And he says, because by sacrifice, Jesus has made perfect forever those who have been made holy. Now, now don't miss this. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promise is faithful. Now, what's all that saying? All that is saying this. That Jesus made an eternal difference for all humankind. Now, this was written particularly to the Jewish people because they were the ones waiting for Messiah. They were the ones Messiah was promised to. Specifically and initially. And it's saying that, that religion just does the same thing over and over and over again. And religion has no power to change. <clears throat> Jesus has the power to change. And he has changed, not only back in this day, 
were priests doing religious things <coughs> that could not atone for sin and sacrificing and doing incense offerings and all that kind of thing. They were doing it day after day after day after day, priest after priest after priest, sacrifice after sacrifice, and none of it could impact a person's relationship with God. But Jesus came, and Jesus made one sacrifice, because that's all really God required was one holy, pure, righteous sacrifice for the sins of humanity, and that was Jesus. And when he did that, Everything changes. Remember, I talked about the curtain. It says, now we have access to the most holy through a new curtain. See, the, the Jews are going to pick up on this. Many Gentiles would miss it. But in the temple, there was a holy place. And that's where the priests performed the duties of sacrifice and incense burning and all that. But there was a most holy place. And in the most holy place is where the Ark of the Covenant sat. And the Ark of the Covenant was a symbol of the presence of God himself. There was a curtain, and we've talked about it in the past. I don't have time to describe it today. There was a huge curtain that separated the holy place from the most holy place. And the only person who could go through that curtain into the holy place, the only human being who could do that, was the chief priest of Israel, and he could only do it one time every year, and he would go into the most holy place, the place where God dwelt, to offer a sacrifice for the forgotten sins of the nation. Remember, when people sinned, they had to go make a sacrifice. They had to go to the temple. But we don't always remember our sins. And so the priest would go in and make a general sacrifice once a year, a blood sacrifice. He would sprinkle blood on the mercy seat, the Ark of the Covenant, for the forgotten sins of the nation for that year. Remember, I told you that this was such a holy place, and God was so holy, and this was such a serious deal, that they'd tie a rope around the ankle of that high priest when he went in. And the high priest had bells sewed into the bottom of his robe. And as long as they heard those bells ringing, they knew he was still walking around. He was still alive. But if there went a prolonged period of time and there were no bells, they'd pull that rope and yank that priest out of there. He'd be dead because he had done something incorrectly in offering that sacrifice. Now, we have access to God. Remember, one of the things happened at the death of Jesus on the cross was that the veil in that temple, that veil that separated the holy place from the most holy place was rent from top to bottom. It just was ripped open. And that was God saying, now everything has changed. Now those who will put their faith in Jesus no longer have to go through a sacrificial system. They no longer have to go through a priest or a pastor, they have direct access to God, every one of them. They can go directly to God. Just like that high priest was the only one, and that they could go directly in the presence of God. Now all of us who have trusted Jesus as our Savior can go directly into the presence of God. So since that's true, it says let's draw near to God. Now that we have that opportunity, 
Let's not get stuck in our religion because our religion is not going to satisfy us in the end. And in fact, our religion ultimately can detract from our spiritual wellness, our health. It can rob us from living that life to the full that God wants us to live and Jesus came to provide for us. So the bottom line is this, swap your religion for relationship. Does that make sense? Reboot your religion and stop looking at, looking at being religious and start thinking about how you can become more relational. Now, how do we do that? Well, that's what I want to talk with you about today. There's a key scripture that I want to share with you that we're going to use over and over again today. And I'm going to challenge you to memorize. This is one of those scriptures that, that every believer ought to have in their pocket, be able to recall at any time. And the scripture is in Mark 12, verse 30. And Jesus is speaking again. First of all, Jesus says, love the Lord your God. Now, don't lose the importance of that. Religion is not about love. Religion is about ritual. Religion is about doing things that are religious in nature. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus says, don't, he doesn't say, worship the Lord your God, although that's important in other places. He says what? Love the Lord your God. That implies what? Relationship. I like golf. I don't love golf. I like football. I don't love football. I love my family. And I want relationship with them. Now here's the thing. God already loves you. I know sometimes we don't feel worthy of that love, and actually we're not. But it doesn't change the fact that he still loves you. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one lonely son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God already loves us. His hope is that when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we'll take advantage of the new position that he offers us and that we will fall in love with him, that we will develop our relationship with him. And so often religion gets in the way of that. So how do we do that? All right, let me give you three quick ways. First way is just be you. Just be you. Mark 12.30 again, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Now, you might think I'm getting too nitpicky here, but the more and more I study the Bible, especially the teachings of the Jesus, the more I begin to understand how literal he was being. He says, love the Lord your God. Have a relationship with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. You are a unique creation of God. 
You are not like the person sitting next to you or in front of you or behind you. You are a unique creation. God created you unique to anyone else who's alive. No other person is exactly like you. And therefore God has created you to relate to him differently than other people relate to him. Now, there's certain things that we all need to do, and I'm not saying forget church. You don't need to come to church anymore because Scripture says that we shouldn't forsake the assembling of ourselves together as some are in the habit of doing. But what I'm saying is just be you. Don't try to squeeze yourself into the mold of some religious image. Just be you with God. Gary Thomas, who we quoted just a few minutes ago, wrote a beautiful book called Sacred Pathways. And in this book, he identifies eight ways that different human beings relate best with God, love God the best, draw near to God, because we're wired differently. And he he, he shares eight different temperaments of the way people respond best to God. One is naturalist. Those folks draw near to God in nature. I don't know if that I'm a naturalist, but, but when I'm out in, in a beautiful surrounding, a majestic mountain scene or a beautiful ocean scene or a sunrise or, or whatever, I, I seldom cease to all of a sudden be engaged with God and just say, God, how magnificent. God, how amazing you are. You created all this. And see, some people just really draw near to God and feel closest to God in nature. Well, that might be you. So if all you're doing in your relationship with God is inside a church building, I'm not saying stop doing that, but if that's all you're doing, you're missing out on a significant piece of who God created you to be. Some are ascetics. They draw near to God through solitude and simplicity. They don't need whistle bells. They don't, they don't need all this. They, they, they love to be with God in the prayer closet. They love to be God, with God in the devotion room. They just really feel closest to God, and they can relate to God and not just be religious in solitude. Many introverts are that way. I'm kind of that way too. There's caregivers. They love God through caring and serving other people. That's when they feel connected to God. When they feel connected to God because they're out there doing something for other people and they're helping other people and they're loving on other people and it's all about other people. And and that's how God has wired them. And again, if they're trying to satisfy their relationship with God through ritual and religion, They're missing who they are. Enthusiasts love God through celebration and mystery. Yeah, you you, you can see the enthusiasts in any worship service because they're the ones going, yeah. You know, there are people singing there like almost at attention. They're not the enthusiasts. All right? Then you got other people, man, their eyes are closed and, you know, they're swaying their hands. That's who they are. And that's what the Spirit does within them when worship happens. And if they try to be stoic and religious, 
in a service, it's not going to work for them. It's going to play against their health. There's intellectuals. They love God through deep study. I don't know that I'm an intellectual as the world would look at it, but I definitely connect with God this way. God speaks to me more profoundly and more obviously when I'm reading his word than through any other experience. I love praise and worship, but I don't feel near as connected to God as I do when I'm studying his word, when I'm reading his word. Now, if you're an intellectual and you're not exposing yourself to frequent study of God's word, then you're involved in religion and you're doing the religious things, you're going to find yourself living in that land of numb because it's not going to satisfy you. Activists, they love God through bringing social change. They want to change the world. And there's a lot of people out there involved in social justice. There's a lot of people out there that are trying to to make the world a better place through a godly example. And you can't do that just in the church. There's contemplatives. They love God through personal adoration and heartfelt devotion. They they love praise and worship, but they, they, they are most drawn to God. They feel most connected with God when they're praising him, just them and him. Maybe it's driving down the street, singing praise and worship songs. Maybe it's just standing in a corner praising the God. It's not that with tons of people around. Then there's sensates. They draw near to God through the senses, eye and ear and touch. And Honestly, I don't quite understand this one, and I didn't have time to really research it. But here's what I'm going to challenge you to do. I provided in your note section, your note guides in your bulletin, a website. And I'm going to challenge you to go to that website sometime this week. Here's your homework, okay? Now, here's your spiritual growth work. No one likes homework. Trust me, I'm in school, I know. Here's your spiritual growth exercise for this week. Go take this inventory. It'll ask you a series of questions. Then at the end, it'll help you to identify how you connect best with God rather than through religious expression. Just be you. Be you. Second, mix it up. Mix it up. Let me me tell you, if your whole walk with God is coming to one service at the bridge once a week, you are absolutely going to end up in the land of numb. It's just not going to do it for you. Now, look again what Jesus said in Mark 12, 30. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart. That's affection. There are people in your life, in my life, that we love more than other people, that we love more intimately. We love, and we'll say, I love you with all my heart. Now, how do you do that? with those that you love most intimately. And what are you doing to love God with all your heart? How are you showing your affection to God? See, don't make God some religious 
power, some religious source in the universe. How do you make him intimate? How do you draw into intimacy with him? Now, it might be through some of those ways we just looked at. But with all your heart. Now, notice that it says, and. And it says, and several times, right? It doesn't say, or. It doesn't say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, or with all your soul, or it says what? And. See, again, we, we fall into these ruts. We fall in these rituals where we're doing the same thing the same way, and then we don't understand why we're not growing. We don't understand why we're losing our excitement about God and, 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 and about our spiritual person. See, we, we need to love him with all our heart. That's affection. With all our soul, that's devotion. How are you demonstrating your devotion to God? How are you saying, God, I want you to see how much I'm devoted to you. I want you to, to see how sold out I am for you. I want to love you with all my soul. I want to trust you with my soul. That's number one. And that happens when we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior. That's when we do what Paul wrote about in Romans 10.9 when he says, if you'll confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. See, that's how we come into a saving relationship with God through Jesus Christ is we trust our soul to him. We trust that when Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We trust that he was being truthful and that he's the only way. And so we call upon the name of the Lord. It says everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, Acts 2.21, will be saved. We trust him with our soul. But then beyond that, we demonstrate our devotion. You're doing that here by being here today. You could have been a lot of places today. You woke up as I did and it was raining outside and you could have said, oh, I don't want to go out in that rain and just pulled those covers up a little higher and rolled over and a lot of you were tempted to do it. But you expressed today and are right now expressing your devotion to God because on playoff Sunday, on a rainy day, you're here because you're saying, God, I'm devoting my time to you. A little while we'll receive an offering here at the end of our service. And it's a way to demonstrate our devotion by saying, God, I'm, I want you to see that I'm devoted to you because I'm giving you of my financial wealth, of my financial person. If you really engaged when we had our praise and worship this morning, and if you will at the end when we close with a song, and, and you weren't just going through the motions because you've sung those songs a zillion times, some of us are so old we have, and you're not even thinking about it anymore. You're just singing them. In fact, some of us are singing, hey, I'm in pretty good voice today, huh? <laughs> then we have demonstrated our devotion. Because we're not just singing songs. We're seeking relationship. And with all our mind. That means we're doing things to learn more about God. See, we fall into these ruts. I love the whole idea, the concept of read through the Bible in one year. I've done it, and you've done it, many of you have done it. I love that concept, but there's, there's also a danger to that. 
And the danger to that is we get on an artificial schedule of reading the Bible. Okay, today, in order to get through the Bible, I've got to read this from this this book, and I've got to read these books, I've got to read this book. It's like the Evelyn Wood Speed reading course. You know? Check, I got that day done. Okay. There's nothing happening with that. Think about how you can stimulate your mind and how you can love the Lord your God with all your mind. I've been talking with a brother here at the church who's taken an extra step and going to different institutions and trying to increase his understanding of God and the Bible by enrolling on online courses with, with different dependable and sound Bible institutions. We, we, we have opportunities to do that in our life groups. There's all kinds of opportunities to do that. But it's an important part of our relationship with God that will keep us out of the land of numb. You know, you know it's amazing. I, I've been in the pastorate for, I don't know how many years now, well over 40-some years, I don't know. And I've read a lot of the Bible. And yet, I'll go back to a passage that I've taught on two or three times. And I'll read it and I'll find something I never saw in that passage before. See, you cannot exhaust God's word. It's alive. It's living. And the Holy Spirit, the more we expose ourselves to it, the more God will cause us to grow. And finally, he says, with all your strength. That's service. Where are you serving God? Now, again, let me emphasize that it doesn't say love the Lord your God with all your heart or all your soul or all your mind or all your strength. It's all the above. And when we do that, who benefits? We do. Because we really feel that we're in step with God. We really feel that we're relating with God. We really feel that we've got something more than religion. We have relationship. Mix it up. Don't just do the same thing all the time, doing the same way. Third, target others. This is huge in it. This is a huge part of staying out of the land of numb. We've got to not always focus on ourselves. Mark 12, verses 30 through 31, we saw the first 30. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Then immediately, Mark 12, 31 says this. The second is this, the second commandment, Jesus says, because somebody had come up and says, what's the greatest commandment of all the commandments? And Jesus answers with Mark 12.30. But immediately, he says, but wait a minute, don't walk away with that, because the second greatest commandment is this, love your neighbor as yourself. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul writes in Philippians 2.4, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. In other words, we are to live our relationship with God looking for others. Remember, God is always searching the surface of planet Earth. He's always looking for people who are tenderhearted towards him. And when he sees those people, does God send an angel to them? No. Does God appear to them himself? No. Who does he send? sends one of us. He sends one of us, see? So if we're walking through life just focused on ourselves, if we're in the land of numb where we're just going through routines, 
God starts sending people at us and they're like bouncing off us like we got this force field around us because we're not in tuned to walking with God. We need to be looking out for others. Hebrews 10, 24 says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. That's the reason we get together. That's the reason we do church. That's the reason we do life group. That's the reason we, we serve in ministry because all of us get to the point where we either get to the land of numb or something happens in our life and, and we're getting off course and we need each other. To spur each other on. Say, hey, come on, get up. It's okay. It's going to, you know, this will pass. And come on, let, let's get back in, in, in reaching and serving God and serving others. 1 Thessalonians 5, 14 and 15 says this. And we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle. Warn those who are idle. Those are people who have no faith, who have no relationship with God. We need to target them because we know that Jesus is the answer for the world. We know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. They don't, and if we don't tell them that, they're never gonna know it. So we need to target them. We need to be bold in our faith, not obnoxious in our faith, but loving and sensitive in our faith. We need to admonish people in the church Brothers and sisters that we know, all of a sudden, they're not involved anymore. We need to go and say, hey, what's going on? Come on, man, don't, don't give up now. Don't quit before you cross the finish line. Keep pressing on to the prize that God has called you to in Christ Jesus. It says, encourage the timid. So many people just think they can't do anything for God. And that is so wrong. That's Satan's talking. That's not God speaking. That's not the Holy Spirit speaking. What does Scripture say? That God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of boldness. It says, help the weak. You know, when, when people are struggling, help them. When they're struggling spiritually, when they're struggling physically, when they're struggling financially, we, we, we need to help people. Be patient with everyone. Oh, my. Now, if there's one thing up there that all of us can do better, it's probably that. It says, make sure nobody pays wrong for wrong. If you see somebody who's got stinking thinking going on, and they're thinking about retaliation and all that kind of thing, then you as a brother, you as a sister, should go in private, not publicly, not rebuke them, but in private, and just say, hey, listen, come on, let's talk about this. Something's happening in your life, and I, I, I see something that I'm concerned about. See, we need to confront each other. And it says, but always try to be kind to each other and everybody else. Now, sometimes it's easy to be kind to each other because we're all here in the, in the holy huddle, and we love each other, and we know that we're all believers in Christ. But he doesn't say just believers. He says everybody. So target others. And finally, got to get going. Are you going to push the button or not? You got to get going. James 4, verses 13 through 14 says, Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. It says, why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and vanishes. James is saying to the crowd, he says, you know, I'm going to do it someday. I'll get around to it someday. Someday I'll get around to, to, to having a more intimate relationship with Christ. Someday I'll get around to service in the church. Someday I'll get around to loving the Lord 
with all my heart, with devotion. Someday, I, you know. He's saying, listen, you don't know that you have tomorrow. All you know is that you have right now. I don't even know if I have the rest of today. I'm going to have a heart attack watching one of those football games. All right? Hebrews 4, 7 says, Therefore God again set a certain day, calling it today, when a long time later he spoke through David, as it was said before. Read it with me. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Read it again. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. One more time. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Get going. Reboot your religion. All right, right now, what's God saying to you? Let's just bow our heads. Let's get quiet for just a moment. And in a moment of of silence, I'm going to invite each one of you to listen for the voice of God. Listen to that stillness that will be there. It's the Holy Spirit. And what is he saying to you right now? Father, I know that you do speak to us. And I know that you have spoken to us this morning. You've spoken to us differently. You've spoken to us about different things. But if we're tuned in and we're giving you our attention, our devotion, then you've said something to us just now. Maybe it was a word of affirmation saying, you know what, you're, you're really doing well. We have a great relationship. You're doing the right things. Just keep going. Maybe to others you're saying, you know, you're, you're, you're not doing terrible, but, but we can have a more intimate relationship than we have right now. You can love me with more of your heart. You can love me with more of of your soul. You can love me with more of your mind and more of your strength. Not, not, not because I, I want you to pay homage to me, but because I want to have a closer relationship, and that's the only way we can do it. Maybe someone's here today, and the Holy Spirit is saying, I want you to spend eternity with me. I brought you here today so that you could hear that Jesus loves you, and that he died on the cross for your sins, and, and that you can have eternal life if you'll put your faith in Jesus and in Jesus alone, if you'll confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, then you'll be saved. For Jesus said in John 1.12, yet to all who receive him, to those who believed on his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Lord, help us not to be religious. 
Help us to be relational. And help us to make a goal now as we push the reboot button of evaluating our lives to determine where we're being religious and where we're being relational. And let's reboot the religiousness that will bring us into the land of numb and let's reboot and seek ways to be more relational, by just being who you created us to be and, and, and drawing close to you and, and loving you through, through the temperament that you have given us. Help us to love you with, with all of our strength through the talents you have given us. Help us to love you with all our soul by demonstrating devotion to you, by not just doing things out of obligation, but doing things out of love and relationship with you. Be that coming to church, be that serving in a ministry, that, be that giving an offering, be that doing whatever. And Lord, help us then to have more of a heart relationship with you than a head relationship with you. Because when we do that, we are the chief benefactor. Because then we will live life and we will live it to the full. We give you our lives now in Jesus' name, amen.